Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In my son's class, you know, earlier uh, this year, I had the little little summer program, and the teacher asked my son, are you going to be the best student in my class? And he says, uh, well, I'm going to try. And I said, no, you either are going to be the best or you're not. And so the teacher tries to save him a little bit and says, well, maybe you can try your best. And, you know, uh, I raised my hand and I said, well, I respectfully have to disagree. I don't want him to try his best. I want him to be his best. Because a lot of times we'll say, I'm going to try my best. And we'll say, I'm going to give 99%. But that 1% is the percentage that, 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 that gets really strong when you don't want to do something. When you don't want to continue to push through, when you don't want to try to close that deal, when you don't want to go to the gym, that wiggle room of 1% will grow and grow and grow. And so for me, it's all about being. I'm either going to be who I say I am or I'm not. It's, it's, you know, this whole thought process of trying, sometimes we give ourselves an Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? So tonight we will be hearing from one of the original, the OG tribe members, (laughs) James. Um, We have talked to James uh, a couple times. Every time he comes and speaks with us, he's always bringing a breadth of knowledge from a very subject matter, so interested in hearing with James about what he will share with us tonight, James. I'm very excited about uh, just the opportunity to share with the tribe just different things that are going on in my life, 
different, you know, my take on life, my take on things. Um, I think that Jerome included in the invitation about getting out of the rat race. And I'm not quite out of the rat race physically yet, but what I would say is that before, sometimes before we get out of the rat race physically, we have to get out of the, the rat race mentally. And so whatever you guys want to explore, I don't know, Ray or, or Jerome, if there's something in particular you wanted me to dive into, Jerome, you know me very well. There's no area of my life that I will hide from the tribe. So whatever you want me to do, I'll dig in. Well, I understand that you're on a, a path to early retirement. Well, you know, I've always been on the path for early retirement for quite some time. I think the last time that we connected, you know, my focus at that time was really trying to pay off our mortgage. And so we were being very aggressive on the amount of principal, additional principal that we were paying off on our mortgage and that was moving right along. I am very blessed and fortunate to have a wife that has similar goals. And so when we discuss these goals, we sit down and lay out, this is what we're going to do and, you know, come to agreement. It's a really good situation to have that level of support. I think, you know, over the course of years, we paid an additional $30,000 off in principal. And we were moving right along that path. Part of it, uh, of wanting to pay off the mortgage, is not so much the amount of interest that we pay, but more flexibility, life flexibility. Maybe my wife would start working part-time or, you know, stay at home. It was a sense of security for our family. Uh, While we were going along that path, started hearing a little bit more about, you know, real estate investments. And I've heard about real estate investments over years. And you guys looked at some and, you know, many years ago, I had a, a thought that, uh, you know, I would, you know, invest in an apartment complex. Well, that was like the first year that we were married. That was 15 years ago. And I never really thought much about it up until this past year. And then we were presented with a few opportunities to invest in some multifamily property. And I began to look at what the potential financial benefits would be five, seven, ten years down the road. And that was finally a compelling enough argument for my wife and I to decide to, hey, Let's stop taking additional resources that we have to pay down our mortgage. Let's have some money that, and some capital that we can deploy into a few multifamily apartments. And so we're able to get in on one deal here in Richmond, Virginia. That was kind of our toe in the water, kind of like a 5% stake on that one. And then we were presented with the opportunity to invest in an apartment complex down in Greensboro, North Carolina, which we closed this past summer on that, and that was a really exhilarating experience. And so that's the financial piece that kind of, or, or part of that compelling argument. Uh, one of the reasons that we also decided that investing in multifamily or workforce housing would be of interest to us is having toured 
you know, all of the units in the complex that purchased and inspected all of those units. It really touched my heart when I would see people that were a lot, that were living in substandard conditions. And it's not that these are not substandard people, but it was that the current landlord did not uh, keep the quality of the units to livable conditions. And, you know, you, you go in and you see children there, you see other people there, they're, they, they're happy to pay low rent. When they have a maintenance issue, the maintenance issues are not addressed. And so I really could see an opportunity to be able to impact the lives of people that are living in uh, the units that we purchase, as well as any future purchase that we make. Wow. So what made it accelerating? Well, being able, you know, we all talk about, you know, giving back. We all talk about that. But this is an opportunity to actually do that. And one of the other things that made it, I mean, just from, you know, you have two sides. You have the financial side and then you have the human interest side. And this is a situation, I believe, in multifamily apartment complexes where, given the right circumstances, you can address both. You can make a sound investment, get a good return on your investment, and provide decent, a decent, livable place for people. To, and that's very important to me. I, I don't want to be a slumlord. And I don't think any of the people that are involved in the multifamily projects that we're currently involved in want to be slumlord. Uh, we want to make an impact on the lives of people. And I think that becomes a central theme in, in general in my life is being able to make an impact making an impact on my children. I have two sons. They're 9 and 11, making an impact on my wife, making an impact on my friends, making an impact on everyone that I come in contact with. And it's really interesting to see the impact on my children. And, you know, they know daddy works. They know daddy has to go to D.C. every so often, and daddy has to go, go travel different places for work. But now they'll come into the office and they're like, Daddy, are you working on your day job or the apartment? And if I'm working on the day job, there's not much conversation there. But if I'm working on the apartment, they're like, how many units are you looking at now? Where, you know, what's the location? You know, my oldest, my 11-year-old, you know, would be like, well, what cap rate are they, you know, offering in that area? And so just being able to see (laughs) this information translate down to you know, my children, and they may not retain all of this information, but, you know, some of it is flowing through, and I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I think it's more than cool. I I think it's the essence of transfer of knowledge and exposure and then maybe having access to wealth creation in a way that they wouldn't if they didn't have a dad who was trailblazing. No, and I think it's right. It's, it's, It's interesting is that the wealth creation is key. The wealth creation is there, but the wealth creation is not necessarily the number one motivating factor. It plays a part, but it's not my number one motivating factor. And, and so I, I want my kids to understand that I want people to understand I'm not against creating wealth. I'm not against, you know, making money, but, the, you know, but I want to make money and do the other. It's a combination of both that kind of excites me. So you talked about early retirement. And so what does that look like for you? 
I mean, you mentioned your wife being able to go part-time or quit altogether, but what does early retirement look like? To me? Oh, man. I think early retirement looks, for me, looks like more, a little bit more freedom and flexibility. I have, I have a lot of freedom and flexibility now, but a little bit more. I can't say that I would, quote, unquote, stop working. I would probably stop working at my current job and start doing more endeavors that are of general interest to me, whether that is leadership development discussions, whether it is, you know, multifamily apartment complexes and investing, whether it's just generally investing in the lives of people. I think for me, retirement means that I can do more of those kinds of things that I'm already doing and that I like. I don't view it as I'm just going to sit back and put up my feet and everything's going to, you know, just be okay because that's not who I am. Right. And so when I think of retirement, I think of finding ways in which I can continue and increase the impact that I have on the lives of other people, helping people become the best version of themselves that they can be. You know, I was um, in my son's class, you know, earlier uh, this year, I had the little, little summer program and the teacher asked my son, are you going to be the best student in my class? And he says, uh, well, I'm going to try. And I said, no, you either are going to be the best or you're not. And so the teacher tries to save him a little bit and says, well, maybe you can try your best. And, you know, uh, I raised my hand and I said, well, I respectfully have to disagree. I don't want him to try his best. I want him to be his best. Because a lot of times we'll say, I'm going to try my best. And we'll say, I'm going to give 99%. But that 1% is the percentage that 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 gets really strong when you don't want to do something, when you don't want to continue to push through, when you don't want to try to close that deal, when you don't want to go to the gym. That wiggle room of 1% will grow and grow and grow. And so for me, it's all about being. I'm either going to be who I say I am or I'm not. It's, it's You know, this whole thought process of trying Sometimes we give ourselves an That's strong right there, man. So early retirement is really just freedom to do things that you want to do. And it seems like you're working that two ways. You're reducing your obligations mm-hmm. and you're creating passive income? Yes. Reducing okay. obligations and creating passive income. And the, creative, the creating passive income is key because then – you know, we always talk about, you know, you don't want to work for your money. You want your money to work for you. And creating passive income is a major way that your money can work for you and help support the lifestyle that you've created. And I want to continue to build upon that. And right now, you know, I have a, a you know, percentage stake in about 50 doors. In the next five years, I would really for you know love for that to grow to oh excuse me in the next five years it will grow to 500 because that's the plan that we're working on and putting together to move forward with that I have to apply the same mentality that I talk to my kids about to myself it's not try I, I'm either going to do it or I'm not and so I'm going to say I'm going to do it 
Five years, five hundred dollars. That's aggressive. Wow. And you got to be aggressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to be guarantee aggressive. that you won't get five hundred doors if you're not shooting for five hundred dollars. <laughs> I can guarantee that won't happen. So you you mentioned your boys, mm-hmm. and in past calls you've talked a lot about putting family first and you know adjusting your work schedule or not taking this job or that job so that you could keep your priorities in the order that you want to keep them in instead of having your work dictate what you can and can't do. So is that changing for you as you reduce your obligations? Are you interested in, I guess, shuffling things some more or staying the course? In reality, the situation has not changed. I still have the flexibility to make sure that I'm spending time with my children and my wife. That is still a big priority for me, as well as the priority of being involved in uh, different ministries or programs at the church that I attend. And this brings on a concept. I'm glad that you asked the question because a lot of times we look at this uh, as a concept of being balanced. We talk about balancing all of the areas, you know, in our lives. We talk about balancing spirituality or, or, you know, our our Christian faith. We talk about balancing our family. We talk about balancing our jobs. And to me, the whole concept of balance as, as I move into this next stage in life seems to be a falsehood um, because if things are, you know, for instance, if I'm looking at a scale and I say that my relationship with God is paramount to my life, there's nothing that I can put on the other end of the scale that should be able to move it one inch. So the approach that I'm taking now is having a more centered life. And at the core of that center is my relationship with God. Outside of that is my family. And then outside of that is work and other obligations. So that no matter what's on the end of my life, no matter what's happening, that it's going to be balanced just as a result of the fact that I'm centered. And so I prefer to take a centered approach versus a balanced approach. If I'm trying to balance, I'm juggling too many things. If I'm centered, then I'm focusing, I'm taking my priorities through the core of who I am. I'm looking at these opportunities based on the core of who I am and making decisions based on that versus trying to juggle too many things at one time. That's pretty cool. So let me make sure I I got this concept because this is the first time I've heard it. So do you basically think about it like concentric circles? So, yeah, you, you have your faith at the center and then family is outside of that and then work and then work and or or me whatever however you want to you know you know because because in the middle in in between all of that i still have to make sure that i'm addressing my needs and when i say my needs it's really the things that i feel i need to incorporate in my life so that i can do all of the other things that i want to so see for the past year well actually for the past year since last october i've been working out at Orange Theory Fitness, which is a heart rate-based, you know, fitness regimen at least, you know, probably 
three to four times a week. Since the winter through the summer, 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. is my hour that I work out. That's beginning to change again because uh, the kids are back in school and there are other things that are going on, and I'm going to look to shift that probably to lunchtime. But I do that so that I can have the energy, so that I can decompress, so that I can uh, be able to pursue all of the other activities and things that I want to pursue. And, and those can include whether it's just doing my regular day job, whether it's uh, going to speak at a conference, whether it's mentoring someone, whether it's leading a, a, a small group at church, whether it's leading my children at home, whether it's going, you know, having time to go to my son's soccer games, whether it's looking at other opportunities to engage my youngest son, who's totally different than my older son, looking for ways to engage my wife. So the me time is really time that I need to help energize myself or to help become energized so that I can do the other things that I want to do. So where is me in those concentric circles? <clears throat> That's a good question. I think me, for, for me, it's a function of getting what I need, but not just for me because it's not just about me. It's about my family. It's about others. You know, I, don't, I, I do not believe that I was created just for me. I do not believe that I've been financially blessed just for me. I do not believe that I'm able to apply wisdom in several different areas just for me. If it was just for me, that would be a waste. So in my circles, you know, the, the me is there but it's a conduit to really help and focus and work with other folks, other people in other areas. So I think if, I, if I'm interpreting what you're saying correctly, then the me is going to be the circle that encompasses everything. It's going to be the widest, mm-hmm. and everything is kind of a part of you and you encircle all of it, which is interesting when I think about it this way, because I think everybody thinks about themselves kind of like the center of the universe, like the sun, and then all the everything's orbiting them. But this kind of says you're the universe and everything is in your universe, which kind of goes back to the point that you made to the teacher and, you know, you're the creator, right? You're not trying to create you are creating by deciding that you're going to do you're not going to try it's going to happen or it's not going to happen and you just have to be willing to do whatever it takes in order to make it happen or make the Mm -hmm. sacrifice which you alluded to on that one percent growing uh, if you meet some resistance on your path to accomplishing the goal Um, there's a lot of wisdom there that one percent grows fast it, it grows fast, and it grows so fast that you don't you, you don't you don't realize that the one percent is growing so fast. And then the next thing you look, you haven't accomplished what you initially set out to accomplish. It's because you you've given life to that one percent, and that one percent grew to five percent, grew to ten percent, and it just keeps growing. I mean, it, you know, the principle applies to almost any area you know, of our life. If I look at just physical activity and 
and, you know, working out. You know, that, that 1% can be I'm going to work out three to four times a week, and then when I get tired, it's going to be two to three times a week. And then <laughs> if I keep letting it slip, it'll be two times a week. And then if I really if, – if it's really bad, it'll be, well, I'll get, you know, I, I'll get there when I get there. You know, the same thing can be with how we – the relationship that we have with the food. It can be, you know, I'm not going to have anything sweet. Oh, I'm just going to have a little piece of – a small piece of cake. Oh, I'm just going to have a pie. Oh, I'm just going to – you know, I'm not going to eat anything fried. Oh, but I but I can have a, a popcorn shrimp. And it's not to say that things can't change and we can't be inflexible or malleable, but for those things that are important to you, that are a, a core of who you are, we have to make a decision. Are we going to achieve it or not? Do I want it or not? If you don't want it, that's fine. You've changed your mind. No problem. There's no shame in that. But if you want it, let's not pretend. you got to go after it. So what it sounds like you're talking about um, is disciplining your mind, right? I think Jerome sent out a couple of uh, YouTube videos with uh, several speakers, Tony Robbins being one of them. I forgot the young guy that he just shared. But they're all, you know, I'm hearing a lot about people uh, talking about, you know, how to train your mind, how to train your 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 body to listen to what your mind is saying and, um, you know, how to become more disciplined. Is this something that um, you've developed over time? Or, I mean, was this something done since you were a child, you know, younger? No, it's been many years since I've been a child. <laughs> but <laughs> this, is, this is something that I've developed over time. I, I I was not always a disciplined person. I've always been a gifted person, but not disciplined. You know, I, I was the guy who was smart in school, but really wasn't disciplined enough to get all A's. I did enough to get good grades, but that was about it. So it it really was as I've gotten older and gotten out of school and started working that I begin to understand the value of having that disciplined approach. And it's not just about creating the, the discipline of your mind and your body, but it's also discipline of your environment. There are certain there are certain activities that we do that trigger certain behaviors. And so you also have to pay close attention to your environment when you're trying to create this kind of discipline. So for years once I, you know, get the boys off to school, I'll go to a coffee shop or I'll go somewhere and I'll spend about a half an hour either reading the Bible devotional or reading some leadership articles or something of interest that I think I need to help fuel me for the tasks that I have that day, for the people that I'm going to meet that day, for the people that you know, I'm scheduled to meet, and the people that I'm not scheduled to meet that I'm going to run into. That's part of that, the, dis- the discipline of me, because that discipline of me is not just for me, but for other people. That's a really interesting approach. So how do you, with so much focus on impacting others and showing up to be an influence, how, how do you make sure you don't lose yourself? Or how do you make sure that you're your best self? I think you have to un- you have to understand that 
at least for me, I have to understand that in order for me to be my best self, that it's not just for me. To understand and to be self-aware enough to understand what my personal needs are. So there may be times when I need solitude. There may be times when I need to go and spend a little bit more time alone or talking to a mentor, you know, going to the gym or trying to eat right. And I mean, it's, it's so, in my world, everything's so intertwined. I don't necessarily, I don't believe I lose myself because I have no problem saying no to people or things, but it's, I think probably the biggest concern for me at times is feeling like I'm not able to do all that I want to do and then being okay with that, you know, not feeling bad because in a couple of weeks I'm, I got to travel for work on a previously, you know, identified trip, previously booked trip. And now my son has a soccer game. Okay. I'm doing my best. I'm doing everything that I can. I'm having this centered approach. I can't make the game. It's not the end of the world. And being able to explain that to my kid, it's not the end of the world. Or, you know, having done some activities for consecutive days, maybe overdoing it, and then I'm tired and I need to rest. Well, being able to communicate that that to my wife and my kids or others and say, hey, you know, guys, I need a little bit of time. Ask my wife, could she do an activity that I would normally do? I think you are able to maintain yourself by being very aware of who you are, being very self-aware of who you are and what you need. And that doesn't make you selfish. That just makes you aware of who you are. And if you know who you are and what you need and you can communicate that, I, don't, I think you will lessen the risk of losing yourself. Wow. I'm sure that took some time to come to. Yeah, yeah. Because that last piece is, is paramount, man. So I think there are a ton of people in this world who know who they are. And I say that with pause because a lot of times we have to change and we've made decisions as children or as early adults or when we got married or when we got divorced or when we, whatever phase we are in life, we made a decision that this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And whatever gave us the conviction to be that person it may no longer be there, right? The reason why yeah. we felt like we had to be that person could be gone, yet we're still holding on to the behaviors that make us that person that we decided we were. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, this other piece of self-awareness that you talk about, what what you need, I don't think a lot of people can articulate that clearly, right? And so if there's other people who are in the mix that, you're relying on to meet your needs, but you can't tell them what you need. How can they be successful other than knowing you better than you know yourself, which, you know, is extremely rare. They, they can't so, be successful to me, and it leads to a lot of uh, misunderstandings, arguments, you know, disagreements, all kinds of issues, um, you know, start coming up because we're not able to communicate what we actually need. You know, we think that, you know, I've learned a long time ago that my my wife is not a mind reader and she's not just going to be able to look at me and see that I had a tough day or look at me and see that 
I'm tired or look at me and know exactly what to do. It'd be great if that was the case, but it's not. And so when those issues, you know, when those situations come up, instead of snapping back at, you know, my kids or my wife, when I've had those tough days, because we all have those tough days, you know, everything is not uh, unicorns and rainbows, um, but we have tough days. And how do you deal through those tough days and being able to communicate how you feel, what you're going through, and being able to tell people what you need. And there, and there were times, particularly when, you know, my, my, my boys, our boys are 9 and 11, or soon to be 10 and 11, and there were times when they were much younger where even if I could articulate, even when I did articulate what I needed, we couldn't do it at the time that I thought I needed it because of the family pressures or needing someone to watch the kids or, but learning how to communicate and work through those issues, I think, you know, is key. It's been key for us. Because I I think the, what I've learned over the past two years is the key to conflict resolution is understanding what the other person needs in order to move on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can make, a decision on whether or not you're going to give that to them if you know what it is. But I think a lot of the bickering that happens happens because the two people aren't clear on what the other person needs. And you can be willing to give that person what they need, but if you don't know what it is, then you're just kind of in this death spiral. Yeah, and and like you said, sometimes they don't know what it is. They don't know what to tell you. I've had to work very hard on making sure I'm able to articulate what those needs are. Because for me, you know, growing up in uh, Philadelphia, I've always been a fairly large, large child, large man. You know, one of my, I guess, shields was sarcasm. And I can be very sarcastic and say the wrong thing at the wrong time. And I have worked extremely hard to discipline my mind and my mouth not to let those things escape when I'm feeling, when I've had one of those days. And that was a decision that I had to make to change how I responded to certain situations. And for me, it's kind of like, but because of how I'm wired, I can't just change for one person. Like I couldn't, there, there isn't a home James and a work James and an apartment investor, James, I am who I am. And so when I make that change to be more considerate and wise with my words, that has translated to all of the other areas of my life. So what was the turning point where you decided that sarcasm wasn't the way? Well, actually, one of the tough discussions with my wife is realizing that I hurt her. You know, you say something, you see the hurt, you know, you regret what you say, and then you get back to the why. Why did I say that? Why was, was it important for me to win? What is, was it important for me to hurt her? And in the end, what am I trying to accomplish? What's on the other end? Where do I want to get to? What's the, des- what's the destination? What's the point am I trying to make? I'm not trying to inflict. I don't really want to inflict pain. I want to be heard, and I want my, my words to have value. And so I had to learn how to better package how I was feeling, what I needed to communicate, 
to my wife so that I could be hurt and that she would value what I was saying. She could understand where I was coming from and what I was saying. goes back to the, the whole concept of when you're trying to communicate, you have to package the information in a way that the person who is receiving it can take it. It's not just about how you – it's not just about you communicating the way you've communicated. Oh, I've communicated this way for 40 years. I've always been this way. Well, you don't always have to be that way. You can change. You can decide to be something different. I am not you right my – Biting my tongue. <laughs> no, go ahead. I mean, go I ahead. Tell you go ahead. The, the sarcasm. I mean, I, I communicated effectively in sarcasm for four years. <laughs> <laughs> but so where's your wife from? Where's your wife from? What area? What? Uh, she's from Richmond, Virginia, so where, where we live. A regional thing. I just noticed that a lot of northern folks are just also, <laughs> you know, just you just skip to it and just. It rolls off fluently. Southern people maybe not so much, and I just kind of wonder if it was a cultural thing based on region. It, I don't know. I don't know if it's a cultural thing. I do know that it was a mechanism that I used growing up. We're very harsh, harsh jokers in, in the Northeast, and, you know, I guess you can get you, – you'll have mean kids or mean people or people that say mean things anywhere. But it's all in how we cope with that. And there's some people in, you know, that I grew up with that became introverted. They didn't, you know, the jokes and the other things would bother them, but the way that they dealt with it was just going, you know, going more within themselves. And the way I dealt with it was through sarcasm. You know, I I, I was going to hurt you with my words, and I learned to be effective at it. And it's interesting because the way that you're effective at, sarcasm and hurting people with your words is uh, is you begin to study people and understand people and you get a sense for what makes them tick. You get a sense for what's going to get under their skin. Well, you know, that same skill set can be used to help motivate people, to help inspire people, to help people be their best. Because what you're doing then and what I do now as I'm talking to, you know, to people or working with people, beginning to understand how they tick, how they receive information, what's important for them, and then being able to craft how I communicate to that individual in a way that will be most effective both for myself and for them. And it's the, it's the same general principle, but instead of a, applying it to tear someone down, it can be applied to build people up. So did you learn, did you see when you stopped communicating that way? Because I think mine were just more slick jokes, but not always necessarily, you know, to be insulting. Or, But did you find that once you stopped communicating in that way, that you could put your, yourself in your wife's place with people who communicated with you that way? Like, for instance, family members. I mean, if, if you've always with your family members like that and you know there was always that I guess you know level of sarcasm laden within your conversations when you stop communicating with them like that could you then kind of feel more of did you did you feel like you became more sensitive I guess to people who then communicated in that way yeah you know by the time by the time you know I got married and moved down here to Richmond I had been out of Philadelphia for several years. I think I moved out of, uh, I moved away from Philly 
right before I turned 21. And um, we got married when I was, we got married when we were 30, like that. And it's, you know, it's um, what I did notice, it wasn't necessarily my family members but or people that I used to interact with because I don't interact with them much anymore. I mean, I have, you know, my family will talk and all that, but I'm not immersed in that same group of people. But I did become more sensitive to how other people communicate and understanding why some people might communicate more harshly than others. It's not because it's not just sarcasm, it's tone of voice, it's your body language. You know, are you receptive to stuff? Are you trying to intimidate people? Are you trying to shame them? Are you trying to bully them? Are you are you just trying to butter them up with really having no sense of how this person takes a compliment or are you just complimenting them because you're just trying to get what you want? I became a lot more sensitive to uh, just ways that people communicate and became very observant. <laughs> I think I can tell us what you're saying in, in learning how to have the conversation directly without, mm-hmm. you know, without being sarcastic or without, it's kind of like the whole concept is you don't need to bring in the other you don't need to bring other people down in order for you to communicate in order for your point to come across. I don't need to tear down your argument or your thought process or your ideal in order for my ideal my ideal to be heard. So, I think growing up there was always this fight of I need to tear down your argument because mine is better. I need to tear it down because mine is better. Now I'm like, great. I'm, you know, I see your point of view. That's awesome. I still think mine is better, but I'm not going to tear yours down. I'm going to present mine in a way that I think that's going to captivate your interest. Whether it sways you or not, doesn't matter, but I want to be heard and I want my words to have value. Well, that's a good point because, you know, people tend not to listen to you and they feel like you're, you know, attacking them or, you know, they don't focus on the messages. Focus on is the way you make them feel. So they can't really absorb what you're offering if it's coming in a form of an attack or a put down or... I was about to say, if you would have told me that this conversation would have taken this many twists and turns, I wouldn't have believed you. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's like with any conversation, you know, we start all the conversation. It's like, you know, with any conversation, the, you know, people are unpacking their stories they're often just, you know, drop something and cavalierly and, and not really think about, you know, in that moment the impact that it can make for uh, other people that they live with, people that they work with, the people um, who are even on the call that hear about it. And, you know, while we're discussing the way that you used to communicate and how that impacted your relationship, you know, I'm sure unless your wife is on the call or, you know, sitting with you, even... To, to take the conversation back and think about that, she probably hadn't realized, you know, that even now you still think about it in the way that you do. You know, mm-hmm. even now that remembering kind of the conversations maybe that you used to have and, you know, what it took to, to take you to move from, you know, a place of just sarcasm and offering information to her that she didn't feel helpful to, to what you do now. I think a lot of times we, when we interact with people, um, especially if we're doing it hastily. I know with me, you know, the sarcasm was really to quicken the conversation. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really like long conversations except when I like them. 
<laughs> sometimes, you know, I you know I'll, I'll call someone and I just want to ask the question I want to ask. And then if you've got something to ask me, I mean, please ask it. But I, I just want to get off the phone, right? And that's why I think people like texting more than talking. And so a lot of times for me, you know, sarcasm is a quick, 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 say something, you know, quickly and just move on. But I, I noticed, you know, like on my team, you know, people want to, hi, Ray, how you doing? Or, you know, they call me Ray, hi, Alicia, how are you? You know, how are your kids? I'm thinking, you don't know my kids. What do you want? You know, just tell me what you want. Yeah. And, you know, we can speed through this dating conversation because it's what I feel like we're doing, you know. Like, I, I don't need all that. Some people need all that priming, and I, I don't. You can call me and say, hey, Ray, hey, how are you? Hey, do you think you can blah, 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 and, that, and I'm good with that. You know, you don't have to do all the other. It, it's, um, you know, I heard a phrase one time that you can judge, you cannot judge other people by your level of intelligence. Right. And you can't judge what other people need in communication by what you need. Absolutely. You have to under you have to get to understand what they need. And I think if you can understand what you need and understand what other people need, you'll you're in a great position to succeed in almost anything that you want to do, particularly dealing with communication and dealing with people. So let's go back to your apartment investing. You talked about your partnership with your wife. Mm-hmm. So does she get it? Does she understand what you're doing and why you're doing it and how you know if you're making a good decision or not? Because I imagine there's a lot at risk for you guys. There is a lot at risk. Um, she, you know, first, my wife has an extreme, extremely high level of trust in me, which I do not take lightly. But she also has made the comment that, wow, you are really into this because she hears me talking to my kids. She hears me when I'm in the car listening to podcasts. She sees me with the books as I'm trying to better educate myself um, in that whole arena. Um, And for her to, you know, there's, there's there's not very many things other than, you know, my, my family, relationship with God, generally trying to help people be their best in a general sense. There are not very many things that I get really, really super excited about and really, you know, say, well, if this is, it goes back to I'm either going to be on or off. This is either going to be who I am or not. And when she began to see that this is a part of who I am, she got a lot more comfortable, a lot more comfortable. And then she's, you know, to the point where she's, you know, well, you know, you can, I trust you. I see you're getting educated. I know that this is part of who you are now, part of the evolution of who, of who, you know, you've become. And she's with me 100%. And that's invaluable. So what, what about this, I guess, made it so that it's a part of you? I mean, that, I think that part, that sentence in itself is, important you said this is a part of who i am or a part of who i will be going forward so mm-hmm. what what about apartment investing is i'll go back shift to your life? yeah i mean I'll, I'll go back to the the dual kind of purpose that i uh alluded to in the beginning of the call you know being able to see the what your multipliers can be from an investment point of view and your rate of return on the cash that you invest it 
to me, exponentially grows when you're looking at multifamily investments versus single-family rent or even some duplex rentals. I mean, there you know, everybody has their niche and things that they want to do, but just looking at the numbers, you know, every, of course, everything is contingent on you being able to buy it right. But if you can buy a multifamily right, it has the potential to exponentially grow your wealth and your income. So that's one piece. And then the personal interest piece is goes back to the whole, hey, I'm not in this just, it's not just about me, it's about other people. And a lot of times when we think about that, we'll think about, well, I should take the money that I make and give it away or do other things. I'm not looking at it necessarily from that perspective. I'm looking at it, can the investments that I make make a difference in the lives of people? And it may sound altruistic, it may sound pie in the sky, but that's why this has become a part of me, because I can see being able to fulfill both sides of who I am. You know, the the wealth building side, you know, I'm not against it, I'm, I'm for it, but the other driving side is being able to really uh, affect the lives of other people. Have you I seen... hate to sound like a broken record. No, I mean, you're consistent. Have you seen that opportunity with other investments? At, no. I guess the magnitude? No, uh, I have not. And that doesn't mean that it, it doesn't exist, but I haven't been exposed to it. Hands down, I haven't been exposed to it. And, and for, for if, if anyone would listen to any of the previous calls that I've been on, you will know I'm very conservative when it comes to money, how we spend money, our outlay of capital, and what we do. This is something that was so compelling that, you know, it began to, it caused me to shift how I deployed my capital, you know, versus, you know, was investment into multifamily projects, you know, multifamily properties versus paying down my mortgage. Because in the long run, I think the uh, investments in multifamily properties will help me pay down my mortgage if it's not paid down naturally just through the next eight or so years. What What's your closing thought? What if you know, nobody paid attention or they joined late? What do you want them to take away? Um, you know, I, I, go, I would go back to this whole concept of being center, centered and just thinking about what's important to you and how what's important to you other people will be able to see whether you want them to see it or not. That my, my closing story on that is two years ago, I was fortunate enough to get nominated and receive a Distinguished Alumni Award by the Construction Management Department at Virginia Tech, where I went to graduate school. Uh, actually, I think it, it, was the civil it was the Civil Engineering Department uh, for, for that particular award. And the person that was called on to introduce me to give me the award wasn't there when I was in school. And, you know, you know, we're in the room and other people are getting some awards and they're talking about people that started their companies. They're talking about people that are working in the construction industry that are doing all of these, you know, great things. And there was a part of me as I'm sitting in there listening to all of these things that these guys, you know, are, you know, guys and women are doing, and it was like, man, that was great. You know, that would have been cool if I could have done that. Because, you know, sometimes we all get caught up in kind of looking at what other people do. 
And, you know, the guy got up to talk about me and my award and my accomplishments, and he talked about, you know, the, the work that I've done in managing research uh, for the Strategic Highway Research Program, too, and, you know, some different things that I've done there uh, while, while I've been at the Transportation Research Board. And he said, but the one thing that everybody that I talked to said consistently was that he really loves his wife and his kids, and he's really all about his family. And it's interesting because, you know, to some, you may not think that that's an accomplishment, but if you've listened to the other call and you know me, that is really who I am at the core. And so who you are at the core, people will see whether you want them to or not. That's it. That's a great ending. Thank you, James. My pleasure. Yeah, this is Devin. I got a question. Um, James, I wanted you to talk about your first deal, like your first experience on, like how did you find a deal and um, did you have like a mentor or a sponsor? Yes. Um, The first deal that I had had a a sponsor, um, the guy here uh, in town that was, had an opportunity to invest in the project and, this individual had previously tried to get me to, you know, talk to me about some things that they were doing, um, and I really wasn't interested. Um, but when I looked at the numbers and, again, thought about the impact and thought about this dual purpose, it was easy for me to work through that individual to get invested in that deal. So the first one I would say was – not necessarily um, – it wasn't something that I deeply vetted, um, but it was, it, it was something where the person that I was working with, I did have a level of trust there, and the numbers worked from what I could see. My second deal, the one we just closed in uh, Greensboro, um, I tried to take a little bit more of a – I still had a sponsor still had someone who was leading the deal, but I took a much more hands-on approach to understand the numbers, looking at the spreadsheets, um, understanding where the different things came from, going down there for the inspection, looking at every unit, trying to talk strategy, uh, and not necessarily trying to um, take over and have the same role as the sponsor or the asset manager. In this case, it was one of the same, but really trying to learn and trying to ask honest questions and trying to see kind of, you know, am I thinking along the right path? Am I looking at these numbers right? Or is there something that I'm missing? Um, and so that's been a great experience. And so now as new deals come up, you know, I'll send it to a partner and he'll send it to me. He'll send something to me. We'll look at it. We'll check each other's numbers, and we try to see what makes sense. And it's been a great learning experience for me. Hey, man, weren't you the key principal on your last deal? Yeah, yes. I was one of the key principals on the last deal. So that particular deal was a non – I mean, was a, was a recourse loan. So um, we're kind of on the, on the hook if it doesn't work. So I wanna, that's one of the reasons I probably was a little bit more invested in terms of my time and my focus on that deal. Um, And I look forward to being a key principal on future deals. 
um, as well. Again, it's a, you know, if you can find the right partner and it's a wonderful experience to go through. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's time consuming. Yes, you know, things will not always go your way. But when you start seeing the end product, when you start, you know, looking at what you and your partners are able to accomplish, that it, it soon becomes well worth it. We get so many questions about um, the real estate aspect. I think we probably need to maybe yep. dedicate a show to just that or a talk to just that and, you know, have um, you and Jerome and Duran and some others that are um, invested in real estate just kind of talk about uh, maybe some of your experiences or um, maybe some. I, I was thinking the same thing, and I think that would be a great call. Yeah. Yeah, so. I'll, uh, I'll ask Jerome to, to reach out to those that he knows that are involved and, and see if we can't um, have that information because I know there are a lot of people who are on the call who um, may send emails or, again, they pop in with their questions during the calls, you know, just trying to get some information about how to break into it and, and you know, getting some examples from people who are really doing it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, about, you know, what that landscape looks like. And, and of course, this is, part of what um, Dreamcatchers is for. So we certainly want to make sure that we um, kind of, uh, um, you know, service the members in that way. Absolutely. One of the the best things that those individuals can do is ask those questions is uh, being involved in a group like Dreamcatchers. And when you have some people that are uh, doing these real estate investments uh, to, to talk and to share I mean, the, you know, what, what I've learned is that all of us want to share what we're doing because we're passionate about it, we like it, and we think it works. Um, so uh, we, I don't think you'll have a problem getting any of the, the tribe members to kind of share their experiences, their dreams, and their thoughts uh, on real estate investors. I think that would be an absolute great call and a great segment for us to do. Always appreciate talking with you. And thank you, Jerome. So I'm going to wrap up by saying if you like what you heard tonight and you want to learn more about Dreamcatchers, please visit the website at dreamshouldbereal.com. If you can think of someone who would benefit from these types of opportunities and are willing to share what we're doing with them, we would greatly appreciate it. James, it's always good to hear from you. Get it how you live. And that's just what I did You know I hustle all day and all night, boy You know I hustle all day and all night, boy